Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and this is The Other Thing I Do. In honor of Fan Expo coming to Toronto this week, my guest is Sam Maggs, author of The Fangirl's Guide to the Galaxy and the upcoming Wonder Women, 25 Innovators, Inventors, and Trailblazers Who Changed History, out October 18th from Quirk Books. She's also written for the Mary Sue and been a regular presence on screens across Canada as the host of Cineplex's pre-show package, so, yeah... She's a film person. Perhaps inevitably, Sam picks Serenity, Joss Whedon's 2005 big-screen edition of his beloved 2002 television series Firefly, which reunited the entire cast of the show, including Nathan Fillion, Gina Torres, Alan Tudyk, and Morena Bakarin, for a feature-length adventure designed to give fans closure and flip off the morons at Fox who cancel Whedon's delightful space western after just 14 episodes. If you're not familiar with the show or the film, we do get into spoiler territory, so maybe go catch up and join us when you can. What a goddamn great story that was. This is someone else's movie. Well, this is always my favorite movie of all time, which I know is like the hardest question ever, and everyone always asks me that, and I feel so anxious answering, but for sure this is my favorite movie of all time. I watch it at least twice a year. Like, I just love it. I'm a hardcore, like, Joss Whedon apologist (laughs) forever, so, you know, I was a big fan of the film when it came out, and I think there's a little bit of nostalgia for me there with, like, oh, I went and saw it in theaters, and it was, like, this little like fan-made thing and like a bunch of fans made it happen and so that has like a special place in my heart but beyond that I also think it's just like a perfect film like it has everything and I can watch it endlessly and never get tired of it and that for me is like the mark of the, the a perfect movie okay how often do you watch Firefly because it feeds in at least as uh, Firefly maybe once every couple of years when the mood strikes me. I mean, admittedly, that's a slightly longer commitment than like one sure, two-hour yeah. movie, so it's a little bit easier to rewatch this. But uh, like Firefly is great and everything, but I think that the movie is actually better than the show, which is a rare circumstance. I think when you're talking about like shows to movies or books to movies, um, but yeah, you don't find that often. You don't find that sort of. I, I just watched it again last night after not seeing it for yeah. a few years, and and feels to me yeah it does it feels like the sort of the purest expression of the show that's exactly what it is i think like finally he had money i mean like not a lot of money but the money to do with it what he maybe would have wanted to do with the show with like flying hover cars and like all that stuff like bigger sets not just one cargo bay set and all that stuff so you could really see like where he was going with the show like you say in a more like pure way and i think that's really cool because for people who are fans of the show um, you can see, like, that original vision. That's pretty neat. Yeah. It's also a little darker. Like, I think perhaps network television was not really, um, the play. Like, you can go online and read a bunch of, like, the excise stories that didn't make it onto the show, and they were all pretty dark. Like, the original direction for the show was not as, uh, wacky as it ended up being, and that's a lot more in this, and that's when I think Joss Whedon is best, is when it's dark and introspective and small. Like, I think The Avengers is great and everything, but, you know... If uh, Ultron had been what Joss originally wanted it to be in like a dark, introspective little film, I think it would have been as good as this. Yeah. That's where he sort of excels, in my opinion. No, I, I, I don't mean, know anything. I, I'm inclined, <laughs> no, I'm inclined to agree. And, and actually, what really surprised me watching Serenity again after the two Avengers movies is mm. watching his group dynamic stuff. Yeah, and how like it's fully formed, obviously, because he'd been doing it on Buffy and Angel and oh, everything yeah. else. But he 
stages stuff very, very differently in Serenity. Partially, I think it's the limitation of the budget. Sure. You know, build one big set and keep moving through it. Yeah. But, but like that, the opening scene in Serenity yeah. is all like one long shot for like what twelve minutes, it and feels it like, like it, yeah. blows my mind. Yeah, it's so good. Yeah, and it gives you like if you're new to the show, which I guess is possible. Yeah, uh, because if inevitably a movie will have a potentially a larger audience, especially internationally. Yeah. So you have to. I, I mean, that's the thing that always fascinates me about these movies, and, and it works for his Marvel films as well. You have to really quickly set up the stakes and the characters for the audience that doesn't know them, but totally. you can't pander to the audience that does. And a lot of people like get into the show by watching the movie year mm-hmm. i think as well so you're so backfilling in a weird way you are yeah so but uh, like i think you're right those first 12 minutes that long tracking shot like introduces every character sets up all of their personalities and like establishes the ship as a character as well and that like it's pretty impressive yeah joss like you say is the master of the ensemble cast though yeah. like that's that's what he does best for sure it's sort of delightful and and also he loves that weird structural thing where he'll open with a deep flashback uh he did that on buffy about 17 times yeah i think, I think like, that's true and like pulls out pulls out yeah, pulls out yeah 200 years ago the watchers council did this and now it's a piece of dirt that giles is stepping on <laughs> exactly just completely dismiss but it's thing. good every time yeah, I mean, like i fall for it every time <laughs> yeah i mean yeah. serenity it's the amazing wish fulfillment of well yeah how did this whole thing start and yeah. it plants the seed for the what i assume was would have been had the show kept going there would have been a more um a, a slower reveal of of all the elements that me that uh, that form the reasons that the alliance is coming after River and Simon. But yeah, yeah, it was. I remember seeing that in the theater uh, at the press. The, well, the previous screening, the Wednesday night before it opened. Yeah, were you, were you there by any chance? Oh gosh, no. I was uh, in the twelfth grade when this movie came out, yeah, and my parents fans. took me out of school that afternoon Aww. to go see it because I like had it in my day planner so for sweet. months, and so like we went in the afternoon and saw a matinee. And I, my dad had never sworn in front of me before in my life. And when, like, like I don't know, is it too late to spoil? Uh, when major character people, dies, yeah. uh, he, like, loudly swore in the yeah. movie theater. And I was like, oh, my God. That's how you knew it was real. So like, he was a fan of the show, too. Yeah, my whole family. Yeah, yeah so for sure. So the investment was there. Interestingly, my mom and I were fans of the show when it originally aired on Fox, but mm-hmm. they aired it all out of order. I know. So it didn't really make any sense, and my dad, like, couldn't get into it, and it wasn't until we got the DVDs that he was like, oh, this is actually a really good show. But they, they really messed with it, yeah. as we all know. Yeah, it's just... You to the point where yeah when when we heard that Fox was commissioning a, a new Whedon series we were simultaneously excited and sad and then with Dollhouse is going like, I know you trust them but don't they're gonna hurt you why would you do this yeah. I know yeah and I think this was supposed to be the second season so I think you're right like all this would have been long and drawn out and mm. you know deeper and stuff but. I don't know. It gave us such a great movie. That it doesn't. I don't. I don't like regret it. And I'm not one of those people who keeps being like, bring it back, because this is such a like perfect encapsulation of what this should be. That I'm like, I'm good with it. Yeah. Like, let's just leave it as it is. Well, I felt that way about you know the the second season of Dollhouse when you know it became really clear that it wasn't. They canceled it, but they were going to let him finish. So 13 yeah. episodes to do five years of television. And it's amazing. Yeah. Like, it's just this incredible high-speed, invigorating... Stuff happens all the time. Yeah. yeah, totally. And now other shows are doing that. Yeah. Um, you know, Blindspot just burned through, I think, four possible 
years of, of plot development this in the first oh that's really interesting episodes they've just you know they introduced this one antagonist and then immediately killed him and then another one and then killed him and it's just like yeah let's keep moving yeah it's, you may not have 10 years you might only have a season or two but you know at least show people that you could take the story places yeah yeah that's and really true so Whedon does it because he's determined to tell his story yeah arc or no arc and uh and the result is now that he's inspired it. I, 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 I'm so frustrated with the way that Whedon is treated by television because he's so clearly good at it. I know. And it's really terrible. Yeah. It's it's such a shame because, I mean, that being said, Buffy did, what, ten years? Seven, seven, seven years? Seven, seven, seven years. Seven of Buffy, five, five of Angel. Angel. That's respectable. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not bad. I mean, we all wish Firefly had gone longer and Dollhouse was obviously, like, very poorly treated and everything. But, you know, I do hope he decides to go back to TV now, because I thought he did really great things with the Avengers. I know he has a comic book coming out, but like he should yeah. go back to television. I think it'll be Netflix or Hulu. I think yeah. it'll be a season commitment somewhere That's smart. Somewhere where they'll just say, here is money, go away. Yeah. Do whatever it is you do. That's what they would be smart to do. Because yeah. that's when he like is just wacky and all out there, and yeah. But this movie, I don't know, man. The shot where River is like standing with the weapons yeah. and the doors open at the end and like the blood is dripping off the axes like that's who I aspire to be every day <laughs> <laughs> it's like that image like if yeah. I could just be that then that would be great the room, <laughs> the room did go crazy yeah um, I saw that in the I think it was the Varsity 8 the big room oh and people went just bananas for that that's was, amazing. I suspect it was fans and not fans alike, because yeah. it must have been in that room. There was, you know, radio contest winners, people who didn't necessarily know what Serenity was. Sure. Or Firefly. And um, it worked. It worked on them. And and I love really the... Cool. I love the casual touches of confidence that, you know, it doesn't matter if you've never seen this before, they're going to speak Chinese sometimes and we're not going to subtitle it. It's just what happens. I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, he has a lot of confidence in his world building, in this series, I think, and, you know, lots of people have commented on the problems with the series and with the world, and, like, I don't necessarily disagree with any of that. Like, you can totally have your problems with it. I just think that it's it was so original and ballsy, especially for its time. Yeah, sorry, the dog is oh, organizing but, himself. But he's so cute, so okay. it doesn't even matter. There we go. Yay. Just, why is, why is this yeah. a thing? Why does this have to be a thing? <laughs> Uh, but it was so, like, original and different. No one was doing that kind of, like, high sci-fi then. Mm-hmm. And even now, like, we're only starting to see shows go back more in that direction. Like, The Expanse and yeah. uh, uh, things like The Childhood's End that just came out. and Which I really appreciate, but there was a real dearth of that for a while in both theaters and on TV. Yeah. So this was so Theoretical refreshing. science fiction is always a hard sell. And, and totally. I, I mean, I don't even know that... But just by being a space western, it gets around that. Yeah. But the practicality of it, and how there's no sound in space, and how uh, the thing, yes. that I, the thing that I got watching it this time around, watching Serenity anyway, is just how many wounds are sustained. People get like shot and oh, necks yeah. are broken. And... At the end, Nathan Fillion has like the bloody eye. Yeah. That always stands out to me. No, it's true. Like and they're the, actual people. And the idea that future science will be able, like, it's not that big a deal to snap someone's neck anymore. In, yeah. In, in this it's situation, kind of messed up. And I, I like what you said about the no sound in space stuff too because that's something that always irritates me to the point that they took like the big space battle that takes place in Serenity like purposely takes place in the atmosphere of a planet so that they could have sound and I was just like yeah (laughs) yes thank you and they were the first people like Battlestar Galactica used 
the digital team from Firefly mm-hmm. because the like signature look of Battlestar is that like handheld space. Yeah, the snap thing. zooms. I think they call them. Yeah, but they, like they Firefly did it first, and mm-hmm. Serenity did it first, which I think is really cool, and uh, it like works so well for the like you say like the gritty realistic space western, and yeah. I appreciate the those little touches. Because yeah. it, it makes it easier for you to immerse yourself in it. Well, yeah. It and feels... also nerds are, like, very, yeah. like, picky about that shit, you know? Yeah. Like... you want it to be real. You yeah. want it to be as real as possible, even though, you know, again, it's like it's the... It's possible to watch Star Wars and now think, oh, well, if they had email, you know, the plots of of Empire and stuff, like, none of this would matter. You could just fax a picture of someone to somebody, but they, those things didn't exist when they made the movies. Yeah. And so you just have to keep moving. Like, yeah. you have to situate yourself in that reality. And yeah. with Firefly, there's a... Or for Firefly extrapolates a great deal, but in Serenity, there's that moment early on where Mal is watching a video on what looks like an iPad, and for a second I thought, oh, right, and then I realized, no, they made this movie before those came out. Totally. This is tablet Yeah. They're just good at futurism. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's one of my favorite things about the world in which this film is situated, too, that by making it like a space western, it takes away that, oh, well, everything would be all shiny, and they would have a million different gadgets, and like, well, it's like, no, these are a bunch of, like, crappy moons where there's nothing but a horse. So, like, obviously they don't, they can't cure your cancer, or, like, they can't, etc., etc. And that's a great, like, loop in which to get around that, like, well, why can't they just X, Y, Z? I mean, yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah. I always think about that when I watch Blade Runner. Okay. And they do the scene where they zoom in on the photo, and it's, like, the most archaic and difficult way to do it possible. Yeah. But you're like, yeah, that's pretty, like, we'll do that soon. Like, yeah. exactly, I yeah. I... Boring repeated motions. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Zoom enhance left X, Y axis stuff, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the What was the other thing that jumped out at me this time? Was the oh well it was that they really didn't quite know what to do with an aura. Oh, um, it's but the so show true. never figured that out, right? Like that's the weaknesses of the show become a sort of a strength because you pay more attention to her because yeah. she's she's the off screen character for the first half. When she comes back, there's a reason for it. There's a there's a purpose for her appearance, and then eh, they keep saying, "Why are you here? Why why are Simon and River back on the ship?" and it's that weird... I had this conversation on Twitter with somebody yesterday. It's the difference between narrative logic and emotional logic. Yeah. We need them together. Yeah. Because we love them. Yes. And that's... like Ultimately, that is what... Like, that's the final speech in the movie, that it's all about love. Yeah. But Whedon has always been so good about creating a, a, like a, a selection of personalities that the audience wants to see together even when the personalities don't want to be together. That's such an interesting way of putting it. That, it's true. You know, the Avengers is a fighting, a squabbling family yeah. and and Buffy and, well, even Angel, except not towards the end where everybody <laughs> was a unified force. But yeah. But, but they're always about people who don't necessarily like each other, but they do love each other. That's true. That's such a good way of putting that. Yeah. I like that a lot. It's true. One of my favorite things about the film is that Mal and Nara don't get together at the end mm. as much as that broke my like tiny <laughs> fangirl heart at the time. And in the comics, they totally get together so it's fine yeah um but i i really like that at the end of the movie because you don't it's not necessary like that's not what that story is about um but i agree with you that they didn't really know what to do with her i felt that way about her i felt that way about um book or uh shepherd book a little bit because i mean obviously they just kind of he's in it for like a moment and then kills them off and that's ultimately when you have a movie with this many main characters like what can you do not everyone can be useful all the time i think this definitely falls prey to that a little bit i do end up liking how they used most everybody but i mean there's only so many moments of dialogue 
yeah. you can have in under two hours, you know. Yeah. And there's also the the challenge of building an adversary that's actually movie worthy, you know. Like, and and I think they they came up with a a terrific solution. Uh, Whedon came up with a ter- there's no they. It's one <laughs> I guy. mean, yeah, realistically, uh, yeah. That that by creating the operative, they they give us an actor who is really watchable. Yeah. Like just Chiwetel Ejiofor is so compelling and commanding just standing there. Amazing. And he is the negative image of Mal in that they are both characters who cling to belief yeah. in a purpose, in a cause, without making it religion. And Book even calls him on it. That's know, right. Why do you always think I'm talking about God? Yeah. Um, and yes, this is the dog snoring. We're both talking, so <laughs> We're it has okay. to be the dog. <laughs> He's falling asleep. And that's what I think makes the scariest villain. Like, like Shepard kind of says in the movie, is that someone who believes hard and like doesn't ask questions about why, who is just so single-minded and focused and believes that what they're doing is the right thing, that's the scariest type of bad guy. And like, even though he's not particularly menacing, he's not like a terrifying alien, he's not a reaver, mm-hmm. which is, again, like you say, kind of the opposite of the operative, like just pure feeling and yeah. rage. Um, he he's much scarier than they are, I think, because yeah. like people are like that. Like people now are like that. That's scary. Like yeah. it's terrifying. Yeah. yeah. Well, even his open, his introductory scene, and then the first big scene with Mal in the temple, which yeah. is simply you're not going to make me lose my temper. Yeah. He's uh, he thinks he's being reasonable, which is the most terrifying thing. Yeah. Every time I watch that scene, I want to be like shoot for the head. <laughs> I think I screen screen that at the television every single time I watch it. I'm like Mal. What are you doing? You know better. So frustrating. So frustrating. Yeah. But that's Mal, right? Like that's yeah. and this is the moment where I get to say how much I just love Nathan Fillion. Oh, this. yeah. He's he's simultaneously, um, you know, everybody sort of knocked Firefly at the beginning. Just that first, I remember the first photographs that came out of him in the brown coat costume. Yeah, it's like, oh, he wants to be Han Solo. It's like, no, Han Solo mm. was a talker. Yeah, um, and Mal is kind of a magnificent hero because he's a bullheaded idiot yeah. who also happens to be very, very good in a fight. That's true. Um, and just the, the mistakes he makes are, and this is, goes back to the emotional logic thing, of course you shoot him in the chest, that's a cool thing to do. Yeah, yeah, it looks cool. Smart, yeah, it's yeah. just not the smart move. No, it's true. I think one of my favorite things about Mal that they really like highlight in the movie too is that even though he is like kind of an idiot and never really knows what he's doing and is only like doing what is right for him and the people that he considers his family, like, at any given moment Mm. and, like, doesn't really know what's two days ahead and can't really consider what's two days behind him. He's also, like, intelligent. Like, very intelligent. Like, when Hanara makes fun of him for having read a poem. You know what I mean? About the albatross and everything. And, like, you know, he, he does know what he's talking about and he's smart in business deals and he's smart at people and he knows what he's doing. He's just, like not very good at it yeah. and like that's super relatable <laughs> I, think, I think everybody kind of feels that way a little bit like you're just trying to get by for right now and maybe it's a little metaphorical as opposed to like literally for them but yeah i uh yeah that's really he he was born to play that character yeah i think like it just like seeps out of his pores i don't know yeah, well, it's no disrespect to to Fillion for what he's done since. But yeah, Ca- yeah, Richard Castle is not the most challenging role. Yeah, for sure. And Mal has colors and shades and stuff, and there's there are things that play in his face for a fraction of a second. Even 
even in the TV series, but when yeah. you see it on a big screen, you're just like, this is a movie star performance. What what went wrong? I totally with, agree. I mean, not what went wrong with Fillion, but what went wrong with the world that they missed him. I know. I totally agree with you. I like part of me thinks it's because like this is who he was supposed to be. Like you know when an actor has like that role yeah. and like that's who they were supposed to be and like that happens sometimes and like I'm kind of okay with it. I like Castle. It's fine, but like Nathan Fillion will always be Mal for me yeah. and like I don't know. That's if you can't escape that, I guess that's a pretty okay thing to not be able to kind of yeah to get past. It's a good legacy to have, absolutely. Yeah, but just, you know, just to think for one year, less than one year, he was doing the thing he was born to do. I know, tragic, isn't it? Yeah, you want him to do more. well. Maybe there's he's young. There's time. That's true. Yeah, um, that's definitely true. I think a lot of the the actors from this movie sort of struggled to to find a future. Well, after there's this. that that sci-fi, and I mean the channel curse. Yeah. Where yeah. you never, you know, like you do that one thing and then you never get out. That you was, circle that, was... that realm like forever, like the jewel states. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like just cast in Legends of Tomorrow. I think. She, and, oh, like, she's in that. Yeah, but she also did like Stargate and you know right. that that kind of like that stuff. Yeah. So and Legends of Tomorrow stars Arthur Darville, who of course Doctor Who, did Doctor Who was yeah. bar- was basically unknown and is now only doing. And Genre Karen Gillan, who did yeah. Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, that's true, yeah, actually. Yeah. It's very hard to escape that whirlpool. Um, I think, like, Matt Smith is trying, mm, but... He's playing Prince Philip now. You know, oh, that's a, interesting. A, the young Prince Philip opposite Claire Foy in a ten-part Netflix series. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. And Jenna Coleman is playing Queen Victoria, I think, as really? well. So there well, you go. that's it. They're I guess you can, can play royalty. <laughs> that's, <Yeah>. that's fair. <laughs> I mean, I've always wondered if it's, like, if it, is it part of... The culture chasing these people because having seen a legitimate performance in a sci-fi show, you want that again. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Oh, I think that's definitely part of it. And, you know, part of this whole social media convention world where you, like, mm. become very... Like, people are so connected. Like, I, I am so connected to this movie and to these actors and, you know, will follow their careers anywhere, no matter how ridiculous or, you know, yeah, yeah. not good the things they do. Like, I'll follow them anywhere. So I think there's, a, there's like, a real passion in that. And it really, you feel connected to, to these people, like, you care about them. Mm-hmm. Which is an odd thing. It is. Well, I mean, is it, though? I mean, it's the whole concept of television is that these people are in your home and you, yeah. love, and you love them and befriend them. Yeah. So you feel like there's a relationship. Exactly. Um, and that actually speaks to the existence of Serenity. Yeah, for sure. Because it was generated by sheer love and worship, like, ten years before the Veronica Mars movie. That's right. This was the thing that could happen. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, um... You were in grade 12, so what was your awareness of it? How did it, like, did you, you knew it was coming because we had the internet and people were talking yeah, about it. Yeah, well, I had watched, like I say, I had watched all of Firefly mm-hmm. Live when it aired on Fox because I had been a Buffy fan and an Angel fan and we'd grown up in, like, a sci-fi household, so we followed all of that stuff. So I was, when the show ended, I, like, obsessively followed, like, all the message boards and all the, like, campaigns to get it to happen and the news sites and, because the internet, like, there were fan sites at that time, like, not... As oh no, no one you know, no one has any idea how crude it was. People growing up now, yeah, it's like it was messy. Yeah, it's like they've we were the Gutenberg Bible people. Yeah, for real, like very grassroots. Yeah, like, yeah totally. So it was like that. You had to have ASCII pictures. Oh you yeah, had to type a face. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And I remember um, when like there was a lot of excitement when the movie sold, and then there was like a website that had gone up where they posted. And this was the first time, like, anybody... Like, saying it now, it seems so like, oh, they put up videos before the movie came out, which is, like, everybody does that. But they had put... They did, like, a web series, which was the first, 
Like, there were no web series. Like, there was no The Guild at this yeah. point. Like, yeah. there was none of that. So, like, it was really groundbreaking that before the movie came out, they posted this series. They're on the, the extras and the yeah, disc it's just, now. it's the set visit stuff, right? Like, just the walking around. And... No, it was, like, they were scripted. Um, It was, like, River being questioned. Oh, those, right. By, right. like, the Hands of Blue men. And it was just her in, like, a very scary room. And they were only, like, 30 seconds. And yeah. one would go up every week. And you would be like, what is she going to say this time? And that was huge for... It's 2005, right? I think like, so, yeah. That was huge for 2005. Like, you would go online, you would see a video before the movie, and, like, there was all this, like, hype, and so people were just so stoked about it, and then, like, yeah, I, I had it in my, my day planner, and I wore my little, like, Chinese collar shirt, Aww. and, like, a peasant skirt <laughs> the day came out, because I was like, I'm dressing up. You were cosplay. I am, yeah, I, early cosplay, so, uh... Well, it's just, it's the kind of thing where you, you want to, like, I actually, we were talking about Uniqlo Star Wars gear, and I, I have mm. this fantastic... Uh, t-shirt of a graffitied R2-D2. That's amazing. I found it in, in LA last year and it's already gone. Uh, I, I mean, I still have it. I mean, I was debating, like, do I wear it under a sweater to the Star Wars screening? No, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be the guy who wears the shirt of the band to the band show. Oh my god, I totally did. But Whatever. Then, but then with this, you kind of, because like Star Wars doesn't need my help, yeah, that's true. Serenity was the kind of thing where... You want to be a walking billboard yeah. all the time to be like, go see this movie. It's so good. Please watch this show. And, like, that's been the cool thing. Like, I'm for sure one of those obnoxious nerds <laughs> who is like, I watched it when it first aired. I saw it on opening day in the theater. Like, I'm for sure one of those. Right. But, like, the cool thing about this is that now it has, like, exploded in popularity in the decade since. I mean, it's tragic that all these people were not around to see it in the theater when it first came sure. out because then maybe we would have had eight more but like it is really cool that this is the kind of movie that has developed such an intense cult following and now like I can share my love of it with a billion other yeah. people <laughs> and like yeah. you know yeah I think that's a it's good if a little bittersweet perhaps it is kind of weird watching the world catch up to it yeah I mean in, in that now that people can sort of I was trying to, somebody referred to oh it was Whedon's love of killing beloved characters yeah uh, and how someone has to die and everything and Wash was the example that was thrown out and it's yeah. just like but there was purpose there like that oh. wasn't and people are sort of it's it's as though it's become a cliche I think it was in reference to the death in Ultron right of course of Ultron uh, which is expected yeah even though it isn't like he even puts a, he hangs the lantern on it and has the character say you didn't see that coming it's that's like, right yeah good point but um it's it's as though people don't fully understand what the trope is, which which in totally. in Whedon in Whedonland it's if you see someone happy, you know, brace yourself. Yeah, that's but right. It, but it also sets up an actual like the ship Stakes. is destroyed and there's yeah exactly, and it's not sure. the end of the movie. There's still more to come. Well, in that moment, like I I remember sitting in the theater and that was the moment where like you think everyone is going to survive because it's a movie and your heroes survive. Yeah. And that was the moment when, like, we all knew that this was going to be the only movie. Like, there was going to be no more Firefly after this. Like, we all knew. Right. And so when he died, I remember sitting there in the theater so devastated, being like, they're all going to die now. Like, this is what's going to happen because there's no more show and, like, there aren't going to be any more movies. So, like, he's just going to kill everyone. And you don't have that feeling until the character dies. Because if someone hadn't died, there would have been no stakes for the rest of the film. And, like, this being a decade old now, like, it wasn't expected. I was super shocked when it <laughs> happened. But it's true, like, if that had not happened, the rest of the film becomes like, oh, well, everybody lives. Yeah, and it's, mm. I mean, 
book has already been killed, but that's yeah. he's introduced as a recurring character in a way, so yeah. it makes it okay. Exactly. And it also it almost feels like a fake out that you know, oh, I gave you a death. He's dead. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It already happened. Like but, that's on the soundtrack track listing, <laughs> which I remember being very irate about. Really? Oh. <laughs> very, like one of the songs is called like the death of Shepherd Book. And I was like looking at the soundtrack before I went to see the film, and I was like. <laughs> I had to keep it together because I was like, why would you do that? Um, but yeah, and I was sure oh. that that was like the weed and death, but no, sure enough. Yeah, no. but it gives it gives stakes. It absolutely gives stakes to the last stand, but it also yeah. gives us a. I mean, I was really impressed this time around realizing, oh, that's right, because now Zoe could also be set up to like it just feels like it's giving her a reason to sacrifice herself totally and that plays emotionally as well as and i remember someone complaining that she didn't seem upset at the time her reaction I was just is like perfect yeah she's a soldier that's exactly what she's I, like a little bit in shock and she's super checked out and yeah. she just throws herself into the fight immediately and like yeah i think it's super realistic i don't think she would have like broken down well not the yeah not the character then, is defined anyways. to us yeah, yeah. exactly and gina torres doesn't get enough credit for the comic work she does in the show but she's amazing dramatically yeah yeah she i feel like the i mean casting is everything i think in in all things sure. but the casting in this show was truly like lightning in a bottle i think for a Considering they were a whole bunch of unknowns, which I wish people did more. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, I think casting movies with established actors has, like... I understand why people do it, because you need to bring in money. But, like, man, there's something about... I mean, you look at The Force Awakens, which is essentially three unknowns. Like, I was a big fan of Attack the Block, but that was... Yeah, that was us. That's pretty much it. Like, yeah. yeah, exactly. And, like, look at how good... Like, that's what you need sometimes. You need, like, a fresh face on which to... It, like imprint these very unique characters yeah. and uh, maybe that's part of the reason we can't shake the, uh, yeah yeah but especially in terms of you know a type uh, if you because Nathan Fillion at least at the time looked like an action guy yeah um, to the point where he has a walk-on role in Saving Private Ryan because he looked like a soldier that's right, right? although that's right. he was doing comedy at the time he was doing uh, Two Guys a Girl in the Pizza yeah. Place and he was great on that yeah yeah uh, to see him in this it's just like oh the first ep- like well I guess the first episode I saw would have been the train job because they yeah, screwed that up of course but you still get the sense that okay you can do both you can be action guy and you can do comic because that's essential to Whedon definitely and then more heart like it just fills it in it just seeps in yeah so that by the time we get to the movie we emotionally we know what the stakes are just the like i can i cannot imagine what it would be like to not know who malin and nara are and watch them have that awkward conversation where i know they're, they're sort of speaking in code and they're also being completely ordinary yeah uh idiots who can't profess their relationships <laughs> yes status to each other that's right that's so true and but we bring a year of history. We it's bring true. all of it to them. It's kind of how I feel about people who come... Like, everybody knows... I'm just going to say, everybody knows Wash dies. Sure, like, it's the yeah. biggest cliche in, in nerddom. So it would be so different now going to the show and expecting that the whole time. Like, that would be such a different experience. It's yeah. like how I feel about future generations of kids who will read Harry Potter, like, knowing that Harry Potter lives... Right. Like, that's a very different experience than people who, like, had to wait for every book and, like, didn't know what was going to happen. And there was all, like, that comes with so much baggage for someone mm-hmm. like me. That was, like, such a part of my 
like development and all that stuff. So it's I think it's really interesting to talk to people and their different per- perspectives on this movie depending on when they watched it. Right. right. Um, yeah, people bring different things to it. I think. Well, just you know, to stay within sci-fi again, the uh, what George Lucas did to the Empire Strikes Back uh, in the in the reversions and the revisions slipping in. Have you seen the most recent version, the one on Blu-ray? Because it's <laughs> I don't think so. It's the one where he has actually well. It was a slow process, but over this is the where years, Han like definitely doesn't shoot first. Oh no, we're not even no, okay. <laughs> no, um, the Lucas's insistence that the original Star Wars films are also about Anakin Skywalker, which is just total bullshit. Total bullshit. Um, extends to the point where, in the Empire Strikes Back, in the latest edition of the revisions, he has. Uh, replaced the Emperor with the, Ian McDiarmid, right? And in that conversation with Vader, he's—they're openly saying, "Well, you know, your son is around," and they're talking about Luke as though he's Darth Vader's son, which hasn't been revealed yet in the film. Uh, oh. But he is going on the presumption that eh, everybody knows, and this is what I wanted it to be all along. So yeah. now I fixed it. And so, if this is what you wanted it to be, it's dialogue. You would have done it in 1980. 100. It's just this insanity, and I can't conceive of someone. I mean, I can't conceive of anyone making it to episode four if they start with episode one. Yeah. But I can't conceive of someone experiencing this for the first time and watching it with active spoilers in the film, spoiling the huge reveal at the end of Empire. Brutal. Yeah. I mean, I'm old enough that I was, I guess I was 11 when Empire played and first opened and I went and saw it on opening day at the the dearly departed university with like a thousand people and we... There was gasping and there oh, was crying. Oh, I can't crying. imagine. Yeah. yeah, it was a it was a genuine shock, and to diffuse that from your own film just makes no sense to me. I mean, the spoilers for Serenity are plot based. There are no like, yes. there's no betrayals, there's no reveals. I mean, I, yeah. I guess if you told someone that the Reavers were created by the Alliance, you're not really you're surprising like, oh. them. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's not going to like spoil your in- intrinsic enjoyment of the film. Yeah. Yeah. I totally is, agree with you. You know, it feels like it. It weirdly feels like the end of Dollhouse and the kind of the end of Angel yeah. season one, really, where you it's know hell was earth and it's thematic. all thematic. Yeah. Yeah. It's where Whedon goes, and and even um, both Avengers movies are ultimately about being prepared for a threat from within, even if it isn't happening. That's right. Um, I also want to say too, I really yeah, love yeah. Sarah Paulson. In this movie, I even though she's she in it, in like it. just yeah. for a minute, she's she and, super and good in it. She and Ejiofor from Twelve Reunited in Twelve Years a Slave. They That's actually right. have scenes together in that one. That's right. Yeah, yeah. He, I'm so glad Tuatel is becoming super famous now because yeah. I want to watch him in everything. Yeah. I want him to be James Bond. He could do it. Yeah, he's got scars that makes him interesting, right? Um, I, I could see it. I mean, the, Idris Elba, but still, like. <laughs> people saw, people talk about Elba, and while I love him, he'll be too old by the time they get around to it. That's I the know problem, exactly right? what you he's mean. Just he'd be fifty by the time they make one. Yeah, and then you get into not that it would happen with Elba, but you get into that scary Roger Moore territory where it's really obvious when the stuntman's there, and after a while, sixty-five-year-old James Bond is kind of creepy. Well, and even with this movie, I found with Leia Seydoux, I was like, ooh, this is a little yeah. too May December for me. Like yeah. I don't know. So yeah, I, but again, I would go with an unknown. I think that Cody would be just really carries cool. so much maturity now. He's so great. And he, what was it? Casino Royale was like two thousand and six or seven. Yeah, he's barely there. Um, so great. Yeah, there's and and he's in Attack uh, Force. <laughs> that's why Force Awakens. He yes. is playing a, a stormtrooper in the Force Awakens. And God, it's that's delightful. great. So great. Yeah. yeah, I saw it the second time, knowing it was him, and it's just Same. like I kind of caught it. Yeah, you can. He yeah. walks the same. Yeah, <laughs> you it's, can tell. It's walking yeah. away at the end. Yeah, exactly. Totally. And I'm dropping my weapon. So funny, yeah, and and that playfulness wasn't there, well, like because 
Serenity opened the same year as Revenge of the Sith, which is the saddest of the giant science fiction movies because it is the film of, of that trilogy with potential. Yeah, absolutely. And doesn't, still doesn't realize it. Agreed. But this comes along and it's just like, oh, this is fun. This is joyful. I mean, this is closer to the... Serenity is closer to The Force Awakens than For any sure. of the three Lucas Star Wars movies. For sure. I mean, I think that... I think you're right to say that the humor is key in both of those films because I think, like... Sci-fi that takes itself very seriously totally has its place. Sure. Like, there's room for a Serenity and there's room for 2001. Like, they're two very different things. But, like, for me, what I need in my TV and in my sci-fi movies, like, I need humor. I can't, like, I can't really get behind stuff that takes itself too seriously. Because, like, you know what? At the end of the day, we're talking about, like, spaceships. <laughs> and, like super monster men <laughs> like you know yeah. what i mean yeah, like yeah. and like life is kind of funny like that's so much more real to me than this like super serious science fiction because like that's not how people are it's mm. just it's not how people are and it's not how people would be in the future either and so like that's why i think you can relate to these characters so much because you're like that's maybe how i think i would be if i was perhaps on a spaceship of ragtag yeah. criminals <laughs> wishful thinking but you know oh, it could still happen <laughs> who knows like, the Martian makes it seem possible and that's only 20 years away <sighs> don't get my hopes up Norm <laughs> yeah but the Martian is how you make a science fiction movie now I think where you have to yeah. acknowledge how, how gallows humor and, and exactly and desperation and wisecracks would be the thing that gets you through that's why I personally thought the Martian was far superior to Interstellar People may argue with me about that, but that's that's what I thought. Well, Neil deGrasse Tyson will probably have something to say about it. I, I what a bummer. You know, I know. I don't get that. <laughs> Just relax, buddy. Like yeah, it's fine. There's there's like a rolling droid. It doesn't matter if there's sand. <laughs> it he's probably matter. he's probably hovering. It's he's fine. fine. He's it's fine. fine. He's, he's adorable. Doesn't matter. Um, yeah. No. The the interstellar Martian debate is a really interesting one because because in both cases you can see the merits and I get yeah. I get what Nolan started to do totally. and I've, you know, we've I've interviewed him a few times and he's I I love him he's smart he's funny he's interesting and he kind of misses the point I completely agree with of you what he wants to do right I think Nolan is the kind of person much like I'm gonna like I know we're kind of like going totally off base here but I think Christopher Nolan is kind of like Stephen Moffat in that they thrive when they have someone to like rein them in a little bit sure. or to be like hey I don't really know like this was great and then we kind of went and I'm yeah, not really well, it's, sure it's the George Lucas, Gary Kurtz thing. Right? It, well, exactly, these, exactly. These people have to have fun. You need someone to be like, oh, maybe just like let's pull it back and put it like more. But you need you need a little bit of that, and yeah. I think that, uh, yeah. The, but that kind of suffers from that. But Serenity, on the other hand, is perfect. So. <laughs> sure, sure. Well, it's, I mean, it is. Like, it is kind of. I I do wonder how you know the how the guys making $175 million space movies feel when they just look at the little tiny ones that are, or even, I mean, even now there's other stuff, um, films like It Follows or, sure. or oh, what's the other one I was thinking of just a minute ago? Films that utilize film and cinema and narrative to do it cheaply yeah. and effectively. I mean, even, um, uh, oh, Upstream Color. Or oh, Pr yeah. Primer is a fantastic example of a science fiction film made for no money, but it's also no particularly funny yeah but um, i know exactly what you mean but the idea of a gigantic production that tells you how important it is at every moment and and again it's that harpsichord thing that that nolan does with the the bram noise that is turned into a big piano note yeah but just you, you 
you're really going to tell me this was about love? This isn't about love. This is about going into space and giant machines. That's what you. That's where you are. That's I totally what you want to do. And I think it is possible. That being said, I think a film that did that very well, that was a huge movie, but still made me believe that it was about love and family, was Guardians of the Galaxy. Sure. Like, that's one of the ones recently where, like, I cried in the first five minutes, and I was <laughs> crying again at the end. And I was like, why am I crying in this funny Marvel movie? Like, what's happening? Like, it is possible but it's super difficult, I think, sure. to do. But, but you know, you're forced to do it with five million dollars and like a screwdriver, yeah. <laughs> like whatever they made this movie with. Because uh, what else are you going to rely yeah. on? You know, it has to have a good script. It has to have heart. It has to have good characters, or else why are people going to come to see it? They're not. Yeah. So I kind of I appreciate that. Yeah. Sure. And they did see it. I mean, people did turn out. Maybe yes. not in droves. It yeah. wasn't a huge hit, but it did reasonably well and yeah. has never gone away exactly you know, iteration after iteration DVD box set and Blu-ray and it was an HD DVD God yeah rest its soul. Um, <laughs> yes. and there will be like a solid core 4K and the effects have held up pretty well I thought I, I mean we watched so them too. last night and there's a little shimmer in one or two shots and and what kind of amazed me was the fight choreography gets more um, precise over the course of the film the first couple of the first chase is fairly frenzied the mule chases yeah very clearly shooting around effects that I either couldn't be done or were too expensive. That's one of those things that Joss has gone on to say in interviews that if he could redo anything from that movie, really? it would be the mule chase because like there just there wasn't the money or the technology to do what he actually wanted to do with it at the time. So right. it like doesn't really look at all like what he would have wanted it to be. But and you can tell, yeah. like you can clearly tell with them like yeah. shaking oh, around in the shot, It's so good. It's so effective. That's the Star Trek shot. It is. Right? It totally is. In a weird way, when at the time I thought, oh, that's adorable. Well, he's a good homage. Like it's television on screen. <laughs> totally. It's, this oh is yeah, how that's it would work. That's good. I'll think of it that but way. I, like, yeah, that's that's me making an excuse. <laughs> that's for a me. good interpretation, though. I dig yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I uh, but I no, I think that. overall the. Uh, but the final battle is yeah. really gorgeously choreographed in the sense of of proximity and space and everything else. Yeah. As opposed to the first that uh, that first sort of dogfight, I guess, when they're escaping. Yeah. In, in the shuttle, it just sort of ends very quickly. Yeah, and the the human-on-human fight choreography I thought in this movie was great, too, because Mm. it was never, like, nobody had superpowers. Like, no, like you say, people get, like, really hurt. And, like, that last fight between Mal and the operative is, like, kind of bad. Like, they're both just, like, swinging at each other. Like, Mal more than the operative or whatever, but he has, he's fighting with, like, literally a screwdriver and, like, that neither of them really know what they're doing overly much and they're in this tiny space and I really, in the same way that I appreciate the reality when it comes to the space garbage, like, I appreciate that too because, like, that's what it would look like if, like, a really good fighter and a desperate fighter were, like, against each other in the end. And longish takes. Like, it's not choppy. It's it's very clear what's happening. Yeah. And who's throwing what punch and where. That's right. And the one scene where Nathan Fillion, like, smacks his head on the floor and it looks really realistic is 100% real. He, like, and had a huge swollen face for the rest of the day of shooting and all of the other shots were the opposite side of his face. So they could never take advantage of the fact that their actor, like, legitimately took one and had this, like, huge face. And they were like, we can't show it. Like, so frustrating. But, yeah, they, like, blood, sweat, and tears, for sure, on this one, I think. I, um... I did get to talk to Whedon uh, when he came to TIFF with with uh, Much Ado. I was totally there. <laughs> it was, oh, you were at the screening? Yeah. Which, which one did you see? Good. The first one? It was the two o'clock one, yeah. Oh, okay, so he had one. just come from that. Yeah. Like, the whole cast went to that. And he was telling me, and Fillion was here, too, apparently, right? Yeah. I mean, he didn't do the press day. I didn't get to see him. 
but um, he was telling me that everybody flew themselves out themselves because there was no distribution. And although he had Avengers money, like yeah, they were like, no, no, we're don't bother. I'm coming. Everybody said to like everyone you saw flew themselves in. That's so cool. And out again the next day because they were all working. Sure. But it was so. He was surprised by that. Like you could sort of feel it wasn't a bit. He was just sort of like. I mean, it's this little tiny movie we all made together so I can blow off some steam. Yeah. And you get the reunion of several uh, wonderful Whedon actors. Bobby and, Faves. Yeah, and, totally. Yeah. And you get Fillion being comic in that perfect so way. So funny. Yeah. And it's somehow, again, it's a movie about a family in a room, like in a house, yelling at each other. Yep. Uh, yep. <laughs> and if that's, <laughs> so only, true. if that's the only thing he does, he's so good at it that I don't mind and I don't want him to stop. No, I agree. And it manages to be just different enough every time that I'm okay with it and with enough of a different twist and... That's why, as much as I loved what he did with the Avengers, and tragically not Ultron so much, because I think a lot of that was taken out of his hands, and maybe that's just me making excuses, but... No, I think that's pretty much... I mean, I you think, feel yeah. a lot of boxes being ticked, and, yeah. and that's sort of a thing that I'm feeling now with the Marvel movies in general. I totally agree with you. I started feeling that way when Edgar Wright got taken off of <sighs> Ant-Man, which ended up just being so tragic, and yeah, they're getting more and more generic, and... Anyways, it's a shame because they were, like, the one thing they were so good at was assigning directors to films. Like, yeah. that's where they excelled so, and that's why the films were so good. And, yeah. oh, it breaks my, breaks well, my nerdy heart. I'm holding out hope for Guardians 2 just because Gunn is so weird. Me too. And it's the one that can, you know, it can have the least pieces yeah. of Marvel stuff. The thing that worries me about Guardians 2 is that Nicole Pichewski co-wrote the first script mm-hmm. and then he did not invite her back for uh, the second one. Like but did they write the first draft did they write the first one together? Or she wrote it. Separate? Yeah. And, and then, then he got hired, he and, got hired and kinda like tweaked it. But like the Writers Guild decided that she enough of her was still in there that like sure, she yeah. got a credit on it. So like obviously so I am admittedly like a little bit concerned that maybe we'll be missing some of the heart potentially. But James Gunn is so great that yeah. I'm you trying to... seen the specials? All his movies have weird heart. Yeah, it's true. They're, it's true. They're, I mean, he's almost like sort Speaking of... Speaking of Nathan Fillion, like yeah. Slither. Yeah, totally. Oh, yeah. Slither. I know. I wanted to like that so much more. I know. I, I like it, but I can't enjoy it as much. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. It just doesn't quite land. I agree. I, and I loved everything that it's doing, and Night of the Creeps is a big, big fan favorite thing for me. And yeah. Yeah, almost, but not quite. I'm with you. I'm totally with you. Yeah, and I don't know who's like. I don't think it's anyone's fault. I think it just doesn't quite like, get there. It's not Fillion's fault. It's not Banks's. Like everybody in it is somebody I like. And yeah, just just go sideways. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm totally with you. Yeah, I don't really remember how we got onto this topic, but oh, Joss. Yeah, Green I think and that uh, and everything families. Yeah, he does it Marvel. in a different way every single time, and uh, hopefully, whatever he does next will be the same because there's nothing I love more than a Whedon ensemble. Yeah. Yeah. He, he is one of those guys who hasn't become a, like, he hasn't become a cliche into, unto himself. He's become a trope, but it's a trope that only he can play. So yeah. it kind of works. Right? I this... totally agree. I mean, I think there might be, after Ultron, I think a lot of people expressed a little bit of Whedon fatigue. Mm. Um, but I think... But the Whedon stuff isn't the stuff that's bad. <sighs> well, that's Ultron. what kind of got me about that. And that's, I, I had a big problem with that. Like, I wrote a review of it and, like, actually quite liked it for what it was. Yeah, I but, like, I think that people blamed him for everything that was wrong with it. But I think the unfortunate thing is that, like, all the things that were wrong with it, I'm, like, I don't know the dude at all, but, like, he knows. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, he's a smart dude and he made all of this great stuff and, like, he 100% knows what was wrong with it and this, like, probably wasn't the movie that he wanted to make. So I'm always frustrated when people are like, oh, this was a 
Joss Whedon, like, doesn't have any skills anymore, and he, like, just does the same thing over and over again. It's bad, and it's like, oh, but it could have been so good. Yeah. Like, no, I mean, look yeah. at the party scene and the, and, the, totally. and the attack and the way and the way that the party scene sets up the best joke in, I think, the entire Marvel Universe, which is the Vision picking up the hammer. Beautiful. And it sits for an hour and a half before it pays off. Beautiful. That's Whedon. Like, that's, yeah, 100%. What I, that's what I want. That's 100%. the guy I love. Yeah. And Serenity is maybe not the purest distillation of him, but yeah. it's the film where like, he feels like he's proving himself and I just, totally agree. There's so much love in it. There's so much passion in the frame. Even when it's just, a, a, you know, the fifth shock shot of a reaver jumping into frame, it still has a, a... There's so much energy in there. Yeah, it's, like, frenetic. Almost the whole movie has, like, this energy to it that's... But you're right, like, the the love of the film from everyone who made it, like, from the director to all of the actors to, like, just everything is so palpable in this movie, and I think that's part of why I like it so much. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. So the rap question is always the same, too, which yes. is, like, what of, what of it have you taken and used as your own, or is there anything do you ever, other than running around in brown coat gear, which I'm sure has happened at least once, Yeah. is there something about of... Is there something of Serenity or Firefly that you keep with you that's a that's a really interesting question i think that it's there are two different answers to it i think it's like my ultimate comfort film like whenever i'm having a bad day i put it in i watch it like it's one of those things for me that it always makes me feel better and comforted because it does have such a good message at the end about love and everything but the other thing is that it just makes me really want to make things okay like that's the thing about firefly and serenity is like such a good world that inspired so many people like doesn't it make you want to create your own stuff like it makes me want to write books it makes me want to like do something that's how i feel about maybe that's odd but yeah Yeah, that's how it makes me feel i don't think so i don't think it's odd at all i mean the the impulse to run around in the world and if you can't do that make your own yeah makes perfect sense yeah that's kind of how i feel about it all right so for people who have never seen it and are still listening yes um Sorry. Yeah, sorry, <laughs> but you'll points. still love it. I promise. <laughs> Should, and would you suggest that they see Firefly first? Should they start with the series? Well, I always suggest that because I'm a purist. Sure. And frankly, you know, heartbreakingly, there are not that many episodes yeah. of Firefly. So we're not talking about like an 11-season supernatural commitment. Like sure. it's, it's like, what, 16 episodes 17, or something? Well, yeah, 16 if you count the pilot. As you can knock it out in a week, you know? Yeah. So, well, I mean, to I see totally Christina would. Hendrix and you get to see... Like, Christina that's Hendrix, a, I mean, yeah. yeah. Oh, so many good people got their start. And the guy I can never remember the name of who's in Battlestar Galactica plays Badger and... Mark Shepard. Mark Shepard. Oh, Mark, I knew it was... Who is in literally every sci-fi thing ever. And again, it's because, oh, this guy can make it relatable and human. Totally. Even in a space hat. With his, like, Cockney accent. (laughs) Like, in a space hat, exactly. Um, So you... I would totally advise starting with Firefly, but I also think that if you're a little daunted by that commitment, you can watch the movie and still get good things about it. And sure. then when you're done the movie, you'll want to go watch the show anyway. So either way, yeah. you're going to want to watch the show. <laughs> it's, it's true. The first the first five minutes of Serenity fills in the set, uh, gives you the reason to go back and figure out what else happened between that and the next 110 minutes. Totally. Yeah. And then afterwards, go and read all the comic books. <laughs> oh, that's right. Good. Yeah, they are good, actually. Yeah, yeah I think that uh, they've all been written really well. So Yeah, I think I've read... I've only read Better Days, but that was a good one. That was a that great was a good one. three episode, a three issue series. Yeah, and then there's like the Wash one shot, which was by Patton Aww. Oswalt, which was really oh, good, and know. has the reveal at the end, uh, a reveal about Zoe at the end. Oh wait, I have read that because I remember that. Yeah, that's I know good. The reveal. And then there was the um, the Shepherd book 
series, which, like, went into his past and stuff, because that is a big mystery on the show, and that finally reveals what that is, so... I don't know that I need to know that. I know exactly what you mean. It's weird. Yeah. Sometimes you don't need to know. It's like, the again, the Star Wars prequels. I, I totally don't need agree. to know that Anakin Skywalker had a bad childhood. I kind of got that. No, I'm good. Yeah, we're good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm with you. I think that if you're, like, really invested, it's it's a good thing to do, but you cannot and be fully satisfied, I think, as well. So, yeah. yeah. Is there anything that somebody who really likes Serenity would maybe not know about and that is worth discovering is there I, like I thought about Cowboy Bebop as a possible oh that's exactly it, what I was gonna oh, say yeah? yeah totally I mean Cowboy Bebop is an anime and anime is like the one area of geekdom where I'm like woefully um, under educated okay. but I've been trying to get into it and like the very first thing I watched next to Sailor Moon of course which I watched sure. when I was like a child but was Cowboy Bebop and that came out gosh uh, like several years before Firefly yeah. But the influences are so obvious. Like, I don't want to come out and be like, Joss Whedon plagiarized this. But, like, a little bit. <laughs> a little bit Joss Whedon plagiarized this. Like, it's an anime about, you know, four ragtag crew members on a ship called the Bebop. And it's, like, it is lit- it's a space western, yeah. is what it is, about bounty hunters in space. And I'm um, really heavily dependent on music, jazz music, as opposed to, like, a Western style with uh, with Firefly, but the characters are so good. It's 24 half-hour episodes. It takes no time at all to get through, um, and it's just, like, one of anime or not anime. It's one of the best-written series, I think, of television of all time, so you should, if you're a Firefly fan, like, you will absolutely appreciate Cowboy Bebop, yeah, for I sure. Yeah, I might be on side with that. I've only, I've only seen the movie, but... Oh, yeah, the movie's super good, too. And so I have absolutely too. no understanding of the backstory, so now I, I get to do that. You should. I get to Firefly my way in. It was good. It was my first time um, sitting through an anime like that, mm-hmm. and uh, I find that the storytelling structure is very different than American television. Yeah. Like, with the main difference, I think, between the two shows is that Firefly starts, like, in media res or whatever. Like, the crew is already all together, and, like, over the course of the series, in, like, great episodes like Out of Gas or whatever, you kind of come to understand how they came to be and what their relationship is, whereas with Cowboy Bebop, it starts with one person, and then you gather another, and you gather another, and then the crew is all together by the end. Okay. So it's it's more of, like, a linear development that way, but... That's an interesting, different way to watch television, too. So you can get different things out of it. It's good to have a project. Yeah. Do do it. Do it. (laughs) My thanks to Sam Maggs, who'll be at Fan Expo in Toronto from Friday through Sunday this weekend, moderating panels and doing signings and generally reminding people that her new book, Wonder Women, 25 Innovators, Inventors, and Trailblazers Who Changed History, is out October 18th from Quirk Books. You can find her full schedule at sammags.com, and you can find Sam on Twitter at sammags, all one word, two M's, two G's. Also, pick up a copy of her first book, The Fangirl's Guide to the Galaxy. If you are a fangirl yourself, or just have one in your life, it's a really fun and genuinely illuminating reference tool for both nerd culture and life in general. You can find Serenity on DVD and Blu-ray from Universal Studios Home Entertainment, and for sale and rental on iTunes and Google Play. You can find Firefly in all of those places as well, courtesy of 20th Century Fox Home Entertainment. And they're both streaming on Netflix because life is good. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner, and elsewhere on the internet at NowToronto.com. You can also find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at SomeoneElsesMovie.com. If you want to leave a review on iTunes, that would be very kind of you. This week's call sign should be, you can't stop the signal. And if you are Joss Whedon, hey, had a great time talking to you. Come on the show. And thanks for listening.